afternoon. Welcome back to Chewing It Over. I'm still Jack. Cheers another week. And uh, yet again, I keep looking at these numbers when I put in the titles and stuff, and it's crazy. Over 130 episodes now. What's it like 136, something like that. Unbelievable. Thank you so much for all your participation. Particularly enjoy that uh, some people seem to catch up on this stuff over the weekend, uh, picking out a few episodes from the week that's gone by. Apparently in the garden and sunbathing, increasingly in beer gardens, I've clearly been in people's ears, which has been fun. And we've been receiving some great feedback from you, as well as some great topics that people are suggesting that they'd like us to discuss. Fairly frequent flyer on that list, these sort of issues around FCP, first contact practice, first contact physiotherapy practice particularly, and the disparities between theory and practice in that space, really. It's like the, the idea of uh, the, the concept of it, of which most people are supportive, but then the actual application of it that people feel like they're encountering issues and finding it difficult to articulate them and know that we've done some work in that space. Now, one of the things that then cropped up is that my friend and colleague, Matthew Wyatt, who I work with closely, particularly through MSK Reform, of which is an associate director for clinical excellence, he posted on Twitter about imaging requisition amongst especially you new FCPs, and it, it lit up a little bit. You know, your conversation started to flow really nicely from it, which what typically happens when someone was to make a, make a call on this stuff and actually state the case. And so he did a bit of a Twitter thread on that, uh, of which I just felt it was smart for getting Matthew on to unpack what he's experienced, as well as then to sort of think about that atmosphere that might be around there that seems to mean that because the conversation doesn't feel especially open or especially mature it means that now and again there's just something that lights the touch paper and it just feels like it's been going on such a long time now that it's about time we started to get the cards on the table as i often say that's my favorite metaphor of course so hopefully within a couple of clicks i can hide my little frame there and bring on matty wyatt matt can you hear me all right i can hear you good great stuff so tell me a little bit about what you've experienced and why that made you then post a tweet out a tweet thread that that certainly certainly lit up a little bit uh, last week. Uh, yeah, good question, Jack. Um, I, I think in my experience, it's probably very similar to a lot of people's experience and um, the response to Twitter is that I think, as you said, that the uh, nobody disagrees with the FCPs as a, a role and the roadmap's brilliant and I'm on the record of saying how wonderful it is for the profession going forward. But I think myself and a lot of others are experiencing a bit of a, a two-tier system in terms of the implementation. So you've got the gold standard implementations. Um, certainly you look at Somerset, Sally York's work down in uh, Sussex, which are fantastic. They're really doing it by the book. You've obviously got the pilots, George uh, Goodwin, um, Amanda Headsman, Crooks, Neil Language, all of who did it exceptionally well. But then what we're starting to see, um, probably for various reasons, is a, a sort of a bit of a creep on the quality standards. Um, and, and the thing that was pushing my buttons a little bit was FCPs, um, in effect, stating they had the right to request diagnostics um, because they were an FCP and because they had the job title and they were in the clinic. Rather, and, and my point was that everybody, else, nobody else has that right. Everybody else that requests diagnostics has to prove competence, be assessed, and earn that right. Um, and in fact, actually, a lot of the GPs that the FCPs are in clinic rooms next door to them don't have that right at all because most MSK systems, rightly or wrongly, have taken that right away from them. Um, so I, I just find it's. Um, worryingly worrying from a quality point of view but also a little bit arrogant for people with just a job title to just assume that they can come in and request diagnostics without that governance and the excellence framework around it so there's two there's two things on that then isn't there, that's hard to tease out sometimes which can coexist but sometimes they are independent variables one is 
system and pathway naivety or an expectation that that's part of the role and then you've got this individual clinician arrogance of which they think sod it and you know that that's my that's my gig now and i'll do that and chance it those things can coexist but but you know do you see them as being things that that also we can give we're not necessarily able to point a finger at one or the other of those two things um, i think i think it's really multifactorial and I, and i think ultimately it's it's probably representative of where we are in the system at the moment that we the nhs has problems we heard yesterday five-year waiting list with um, gps are leaving in their droves and retiring early um fcp is rightly seen as part of the solution to that and it and it, it almost certainly is part of the solution how much of the solution i'm still a bit out of the fence on mm-hmm. um but there are lots of driving factors around that there's people going out there who think they've got the skills there's people who are being pushed because they're in the role therefore they need to be requesting so i think it, it's really complex mm-hmm. i have a i have a funny one with this like i've been on a real journey with it and i find it to be the biggest challenge to my p- opinion on this is that because it's been pitched as it's been pitched in a sense that this is something that the, the whole suggestion over the years has been an appropriate way of offsetting GP time that the patient, the therapist that would be able to be situated in it of be of a specialism and advanced practice triage recognition of masqueraders. Some of the, some of the more complex, complex things that we bring to clinical reasoning, advanced clinical reasoning. Because it was pitched there, it felt like we all spoke about the fact that that seems a bit naive that we've got the workforce. You know, it was like kind of an obvious, the low-hanging fruit critique of that was that, you know, you, you're uh, in, in Neil language naming lights as it rightly is as a clinician and a man, was that you can't replicate him or, or Amanda or Sally easily because of the just nature of the workforce. But then also, because I've pursued that line of thinking, I then sometimes lost some of the evidence we have that is that essentially appropriate competence that can occur at even more junior grades, if we weren't necessarily inferring that it was something that was particularly advanced, if it, if it wasn't for the policies that had situated it there, you could have a more comfortable entry point in which we wouldn't have necessarily have made a rod for our own back on this stuff. And that it would have been part of the system that, that they you know, that it would have had a better access criteria. So how much of, of this problem have have we made for ourselves because of the way in which we've inferred um, that it needed to be at that level? Yeah, I, I think I, again, I think it's multifactorial. But yeah, absolutely. I think, and and, and that's probably the problem is that nobody or a very limited number of the people actually understand the roadmap and the vision for FCP. Um, I think a lot of people, including myself. Um, probably thought initially it was all APPs going out there into SCP land and they would be doing just moving um, the advanced practice skills down. Um, it's become much clearer that it, it's actually more the level seven role, the expert clinicians, the senior, the band sevens um, in old money um, that have come out there. And actually I'm really comfortable with that. But I think the key is, is that competency. Um, and again, come back to my role with MSKR, excellence. That's what I want to see. I want to see clinical excellence. I want people working to the top of their license, but within the scope of practice and within their competence and capability. Mm. Um, what concerns me and worries me, and that's what I'm seeing in the FCP, is that people are uh, haven't got those competence and capabilities and are starting to not have that rubber, 
uh, robust governance to get to where they need to get to. Um, and again, there's great examples of APPs out there doing it. Again, you use the Somerset example, the Somerset example, the APP Simon Ingram, people like that, doing a great job out there. They're APPs in the clinics and then going out um, back and forth. Um, but if you're a relatively inexperienced FTP, inexperienced physio, then, you, then you're going to be working a different scope and a different skill set to those people. And do you think, do you think therefore, if we had to hazard a bit of a guess, do you think there's just clinicians that are somewhat out there and quite exposed performing defensive medicine, you know, just over investigating and, and over referring in a way as a means of the fact that they're somewhat exposed to primary care cases that they've otherwise been protected from by, say, triage or referral streams, et cetera. And they're just at the front end of primary care, which we know can be a hotbed of, of, of love matters. We've got a, he's had to abandon. Is that because the phone's ringing or something? Phone's ringing. It's typical that <laughs> nether rings. Um, <laughs> Not bad. Yeah. So I, I don't know if you got the grasp of that, you know, just to that question. Yeah, no, I, I do. I think there's, again, it, it's complex, isn't it? It's really complex. And I don't think there's simple answers to this. But again, I, I, well, I do think there's simple answer. It's good governance, clinical excellence uh, is the answer uh, and staying within it. But yeah, I think, I think, Telemedicine's playing a huge role. I'm, I've just come from clinic myself this morning, and I, I'm aware, and I've discussed with a lot of colleagues, that we're tending to increase our investigation rates because we can't see the patient, so we, we practice a little bit more defensively. I think right. most a lot of people are saying that, um, and that's being part of the introduction. Yeah, I think people are out there exposed. They haven't got the the um, support around them, maybe not the people to bounce ideas off. Um, unless they've got really good access to the GP. And that's why the GP supervisor is absolutely vital within these roles. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think people are, again, they're in these roles, that they're, they're potentially rushing it a bit, just going and because they're in these roles, they're SCPs, they feel they have to be all singing or dancing superheroes rather than actually just getting the basics right and nailing it, which we all know is probably more important. Do you think that on balance, how, how, how much isolation do you think is occurring, especially because we, we've been advocates for not just you and I, but also the organisations in which we represent have been advocates for FCP nested within the security of and, and linked so strongly to the existent MSK pathways. Um, how we, but we know in practice that, that sometimes there is this isolation both of the clinician, but also of that service to some degree because of the funding pathways. How much is that occurring? Is that is that a minority? Is that half and half? Where do you sort of sense that at the minute? Um, I, I, think, I think there's a real mixture out there. And actually, I, I seesaw on this, and I can see the pros and cons of both models. I, I think actually the, the physio is being really embedded in primary care, and Amanda from crooks is a brilliant example of this. So somebody who actually is an integral part of the practice team, but she's really well supported within that practice team. She's not a, just a physio going into that practice and doing clinics and coming back out. She's part of the team. She, her governance and supervision comes from there. Um, and then you've got the other examples we've mentioned, the Somerset example, the Sussex example, where they are more the community MSK provider integrated out and that providing support and for me it's the governance it's the it's that framework of support it's not just a physio going into a clinic being an SCP for a few hours and coming back in and out they they need that that, that 
wraparound support both in primary care and the community service mm. um, to to make sure that the everything's robust and in place and the patients are safe at the end of the day it's about patient safety and that's what worries me most is that if it was if it was my mum or my sister going to an fcp i'd, I'd if they're going to all do investigations i'd want them to be capable and competent absolutely well yeah it's not it doesn't feel like at all ask it big ask is it that but yeah it's a, it's an interesting one i think what for me the reason i'm inferring a preference on that is that there's a succession planning that comes inherent to the model I described of which it's kind of as I said nested where you can we all know some great examples you've given one there um, of of some brilliant clinicians that are part of the, the furniture within a GP practice or a GP network of practices and stuff and it's just that the succession planning that comes from that is, is much more challenging in many ways compared to it being a relationship with a service that supplies those clinicians especially one that say has a has a framework that then means that people are more comfortable in any context to deal with undifferentiated patients which is the key variable to the clinical aspect of it uh, i want to make sure i bring in the audience a bit sooner i know what i'm like sometimes i i get stuck in for 20 minutes and then we don't have enough time to get to comments and questions so to those that are tuning in live thank you and then please do post your comments i want to ask a direct question to you if you can what is your experience on the ground at the moment whether you're in those roles or you're associated to them or you're otherwise not and you just hear whispers i don't care just give us your thoughts how are you experience in fcp uh, regardless of how um you're positioned but just what's your take on the matter and by that i don't mean in theory we've talked about that in plenty um i, I want to know about in practice how how well is that doing and, and how what issues have we have we what are your thoughts on the issues we've already talked about as well as those that we haven't yet mentioned um some comments that have come in um so far martin billing has mentioned here on Twitter, notwithstanding individuals, a lot a lot employed already gained a post, not a role, or clearly defined spec. Could you just talk a bit about that, Matt? What, what's he meaning there by post, not role, and, and how does that matter? Um, again, I think it's this lack of clarity, and again, I don't think it's necessarily anybody's fault that the the FCP picture is becoming increasingly clearer. So, um, PCNs, GP practices employing them, but not necessarily understand what they've wanted. A, a lot of wanted and historically we've known that they wanted a practice-based physio um, and a lot are trying to use FCPs as practice-based physios and again you look at all the pilot work there's a lot of education work that goes around with the GPs and uh, uh, that so it's that lack of clarity around that that they're, they're an FCP but that means what that actually means does that mean they're just a physio doing a physio clinic in a GP practice or are they which is intended as a first contact practitioner. So they're not even actually a physio. A contact, first, they're a physio by background, but they're actually a first contact practitioner. And it's a different um, skill set, different role entirely to just being a physio doing physio clinics in a GP practice. Right. Okay. David Wilson here has mentioned experience is key for him. APPs doing FCP roles for me is gold standard. Do you agree with that? Um, I, I, it's difficult. Again, I'm, I'm sat on the fence. I, I don't think there's a one right model with FCP. I think it's part of the solution, like the physios doing virtual thoracic clinics and things like that. There's lots of roles. I suppose that's part of my problem with the whole FCP thing is we've just gone to this blanket rollout and everybody, every GP practice and every PCN has to have one. Do they? Or actually, could is it just 
part of the gambit um, and in circumstances an app is great but then they're not at the other end of the pathway um, and certainly uh, in connect we guard our apps really jealously in terms of who gets to them because they've got their expertise and we don't want people who don't need an app getting to an app mm -hmm. um, because we want quick weights to them right. um, I, I'm again I, I think it's more about the scope I think it's about the right individual understanding the role and being within their scope so it may well be a relatively inexperienced but as long as I've got M level um, knowledge um, who's not an APP but as long as they understand their role they understand the scope and they work within that and they don't over overstep out of that scope until they've got those skills that's what's vital for me it's the governance structure the competencies the capabilities yeah i think as it's as it's currently constructed and has been for for years now and, and situated within with the suggestion of this role right what, what is it defined as what is it positioned as then then i agree with you david i think you know especially on a reasoning level as to what that you know how how we define those terms isn't always clear you know we've not got this professional integrated governance structure that can truly define it and in app is not a qualification for example um so that those definitions are are a bit blurry however i think that sometimes and for years on on uh, various different shows um and, and circumstances and events that i've been involved in i've been talking about the fact that the consequences of what we're inferring um, by needing specialist skill set to be first contact on the wider profession is something that is a bit naive such as in private practice, you could argue that first contact has been occurring for many years. Undifferentiated patients coming in off the street, sometimes within an hour's or moment's notice, and presenting to a healthcare professional who is qualified by means of degree to deal with that situation and is insured as such. I've always made sure that I then make sure the caveat is in play that that is somewhat different to a classic, a, a typical, you know, the, the typical person doing that is coincidentally different somewhat to the classic case that might present in primary care uh, GP practice, even though, you know, generally speaking, access wise, you could argue that that's not it's similar. But there are also circumstances in the charity sector as well in occupational health, that sometimes those are quite complex cases that can present without necessarily it being an advanced practitioner and that people technically should be in a, in a position on on working under in, in their scope, even as a graduate. And this is what's People are missing the opportunity sometimes to recognize that that is a, a training need that we need to make sure we at least retrofit within our qualifications, if that is what we're suggesting. And or we're admitting that that is not an appropriate thing for people to have access to. And, and at the moment, it's a very blurry, blurry line. And I think that if it had been situated differently, this policy and this rollout, then I can make a case for, for it not necessarily needing to be APP. And I don't necessarily think that that would be um, the gold standard. You know, so I hope I'm um, forgive me for a typically waffly answer from me, but I think it's something that's important to bear in mind that we are inferring things backward, you know, to what we've done historically. We are in what is our uh, autonomy truly as qualified professionals with no governance obligation to progress? Right? We're not in training posts, let's never forget that there isn't a professional development process compared to say what a GP would be compared to when they are a graduate doctor. It's just that we are in a different place, uh, rightly or wrongly. Uh, Joe Turner has mentioned here, her experience having been approached by local GPs is that there has been little communication to them as to what is expected, both from the physio 
and from them as providers of supervision. How does that map onto your experience? Um, I, I think that, that that's a pretty standard comment. And certainly I, I go and speak to a lot of PCNs and um, FCPs and people out there. And I think there is a real lack of understanding. But I think the roadmap is really clear and all the schemes are really clear. The information is out there. I just don't think it's um, permeated. Um, So I think, and again, I can't say how highly I rate the roadmap. I think it's it's a really exciting development for our profession. The governance it gives us, the career development, the structure is fantastic. and if people use it, um, then it, that's the key. I think where people are going wrong is when they're not using it and that there is a real lack of understanding. And again, I said it earlier, I think a lot of GPs are still thinking that it's just a practice-based physio that they can refer their patients to. It's, but that's that's not what an FCP is. Mm, absolutely. Right. Now, um, I don't have a name here, but it says Cully11 on YouTube. Um, so thank you, Cully, for tuning in. But I'm sorry, I don't have your real name. Uh, workforce numbers are a real issue. The FCP role is an advanced practitioner role. What did you? Because I, I mentioned workforce and stuff, and I, I mentioned that it was kind of like the low-hanging fruit critique in many ways for me and others. Although I meant I stood by it and still stand by why. But what's your? How optimistic or pessimistic are you with, with regards to current and then future workforce planning for these roles if they continue to proliferate? Um, I, well, I think that's it, and I think that's probably the elephant in the room is that we don't have enough people of M-level standard, which is what an FCP should be, and I think that's probably why we've got into a slightly stick, sticky people. That The demand's there because the, the funding's there for the roles. The PCNs are cottoning onto it. They want their FCPs, which is brilliant. Fantastic that the PCNs, GPs want FCPs. They want physios. It shows how highly they, they value physios and want them out there as quick as possible, but actually I think because the, then look on social media look on um the job websites there are lots and lots of these jobs it's going to be impossible to fill them we had a recruitment problem beforehand Um, most msk departments couldn't recruit um fully to their posts so um that that in itself if you then become a bit it becomes a bums on seats exercise you're putting bums on seats rather than ensuring capability competency right person in the right place you're then going to drive the standard down and that that would be the concern and i think that's what came out in the twitter conversation is that this worry and that somebody else used the term a race to the bottom and that's always the anxiety when you've when you've got more um demand you've got supply then things can be get a bit sticky yeah yeah absolutely and I think what is interesting and one thing we've discussed on on this show really on in various contexts with regards to um chasing down prices in in private practice and things like that is that one of the mechanisms in play that we sometimes don't speak enough about is the fact that who's taking those roles and doing the those jobs is something that or taking that money or, or being willing to do things at, 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 without appropriate remuneration does have a drag effect because of market forces. And I think that that's something that is um, increasingly something that people are noticing locally. And I'm hearing from more and more private practitioners that are they're experienced that or because of the way that the pandemic panned out when they closed all of our practices, you had a number of private practitioners that got drawn into FCP roles. Um, and some of the, some of the, confusion around that even you know especially from those that you can imagine amongst our listenership incredibly ethical private practitioners as they are then were finding it really difficult that they were kind of it was expected of them from uh, their gps etc for you know they, they were inferred that they should be fueling their private practice with these patients you know if they can't if you can't refer in then why are you not joining them in in fact you could 
this room's still empty on a Wednesday afternoon with which you're not working for us. Why wouldn't you just see them here? And if they're willing to pay, they're willing to pay. And they've just started to get really uncomfortable with that model. Are, are you hearing about any of that with regards to the sort of cross sector into working? Because it feels like very difficult for people to narrowly comply within the roadmap. Are you hearing those stories or they're still niche? Um, I'm definitely hearing those stories, but not not huge numbers. Again, mm. I, I think everybody's doing it with the, the best of intention mm. uh, intentions. Again, it, it's this variable rollout, and and I think your market forces is bang on. I think because of the the COVID effects, you say private practices initially were quiet, so then some people have got drawn into FCP. Whether then that's where they want to be or where they're going to stay long term is another matter. And, they, and if somebody's not necessarily committed to it long term, they're just doing it as a short fill and they're going to come back out. How much are they going to commit to the roadmap? Um, is a matter. And, and we're also hearing the local markets a bit flack at the moment. So all the local people that were in the local roles are now probably gone into FCP and other roles. So we're almost in a position where we actually almost got the workforce in the wrong place. Um, right. And then it's going to take a while for everybody to shake back out. And um, have we got the people that want to be FCPs and are going to be our long term FCPs in these roles? Good question. Well, I think I mentioned before about the fact that there is a, re a relevant difference that's sometimes difficult to notice between say front uh, first contact private practice and first contact primary care I'm, I'm from a primary care background who now happens to work in private practice and even my private practice patients are somewhat different just because of the way in which the second opinion stuff and complex cases is kind of what i've enjoyed and therefore known for and get referred in even internally to me and my clinics so it's slightly different but generally the, the amount of private practitioners that have then gone into that and then um said to me sometimes over 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 a beer or whatever they've kind of said it is a different it is a different ball game you know the com the medical complexity that sometimes comes in alongside said ankle sprain acute back pain episode or whatever it's, it's just it is a, a different sort of world with regards to comorbidities and so therefore they are in that situation where i'm going to see this out for the six months i sort of promised the gp principal um practice manager for but then fundamentally yeah i'm going to try and you know it's not it's not for me isn't this you know this isn't the, this isn't what i wanted to do i wanted to do more sporty rehab stuff and and that um i need to do more treatment than assessing and this is more assessment than treatment and stuff like that um and i think that that's something that the workforce being in the wrong place is a fascinating thing because that will take some time to shake down and then as you say you've almost got at that point when things sort of level up and people in the right place then the roadmap application of you know individuals then then participating in that will proliferate but at the moment you've almost got the wrong people potentially taking up supervision resources that they might not then you know that might not bolster and, and improve the competence of the workforce in the in the right way which massive massive challenge then because it almost like that the training window um will will just get shifted um and and that won't be efficient uh, david wilson has mentioned here that the dissemination is agreeing with you i think what you said earlier dissemination of the roadmap has been an issue but pcns and ccg is not aware of it that's the thing is that it's all well and good in principle but if it's not known about or hasn't pro proliferated that's a that's a marketing and messaging issue, isn't it? Is that because of because you're proud of the resources you've been saying, but is it that it was it was it the timing of it? Like it was it was it that there wasn't really enough time for that to sink in before its implementation? So you're always going to need to just get lost in the doing and, and less about the understanding. Or what, what do you think's kind of caused the the messaging to not cut through? 
Um, again, I think there's a lot of competing noise out there, isn't there, in the primary care world? I think even prior to COVID, the GPs, the PCNs were coming in, the new, the new world and the new settings up, and they were focused on that. We then had COVID and vaccinations and things like that. That they're all competing noises. I think the information's out there. It's just getting it to to be in front of busy people that they can actually read it. And I think again, it's these probably making some assumptions. Well, we've worked with physios for the years. We understand physio. Therefore, we're going to get a physio back into our practice. And they actually, because they've made those assumptions, they haven't bothered to read, read the roadmap um, because they, it's just bringing a physio into our practice. They've not actually realized it. It's a completely different. FCP is a different role, different use, different purpose, different governance setup. And it takes for that um, ability to have the poise to actually not just do the reading, but also just take a moment when that funding becomes available and you know that then that's happened across the board, you know, it's a competitive recruitment market and therefore you can't help but just be a bit trigger happy on it. You know, it's like if you not everyone's going to get that and they think, well, I'm going to set aside time in my otherwise busy diary to make sure that me and a few others within the practice and the, and the, and the network are going to then understand as to how, what that means and how that how we can best support that role to make it have a it's not it's a bit naive of us to then think that everyone's going to afford it that time because they kind of think that well if we don't get this out tomorrow then we might have a smaller pool of which we can then um dip into and then and it's you know that 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 tug of war in terms of timeliness especially at a time of forever you know growing pressure in in general practice i think that sometimes it's those things that that concern me is that you've got always this this opportunity to to say what would be perfect isn't always realistic and i think that that's the thing that seems to be overarching is that it's this theory and practice seems to be a bit divorced at least and we need to try to make sure we bridge that gap when we're all so proud of the the theory and we're proud of what should be being aspired to and that the gold standards and the blueprints that should be then being replicated if there's five different workarounds for them for five different reasons few of which cynical, and you've got individuals that then sometimes are practicing that defensive medicine, the imaging, over-imaging, or, or bypassing normal pathways that you started with. We need to try to find a way to nip that in the bud through whatever means we can, including conversations such as this, uh, of which we then at least get that conversation moving. And we would love to hear from, if people want to put themselves or others forward for, we'd love to hear from uh, people in, in, new G, in new FCP roles of various different contexts, I would love to, to have that conversation to understand how you feel and how supported you are. I know that's difficult for some of you, and therefore we do receive and understand we'll be sensitive to anonymous comments that you might not want to come on the show. We can't do the whole sort of face and voice masking type thing for any exposés, I'm afraid. But generally speaking, we do want to hear from you, and we will be sensitive to the fact that some of you might not want to share it in a, in a whistleblowing sense. Uh, but generally, we, we are really interested in a full melting pot of different things here because there's lots of good news stories going on as well, and we don't want to therefore do be, be naysayers on it. But generally, we just want to make sure that this, this is something that it needs to not continue to have this atmosphere in which you know, there's a really narrow tightrope we can walk conversationally about what we'll talk about with FCP. And then if it's slightly deviated from, as Matt did last week, you're just you're going to then feel a bit, you know, it, it all gets, the atmosphere gets a bit fraught and people quieten down. And we don't want that. Obviously, we want to chew everything over. That's uh, always always my, my shtick. Sorry for those whose comments we didn't get to. Really popular on the, on the chat there, but it all informs future episodes. So please do keep those coming. Really appreciate it. Thanks as ever for your time, Matt. And we will speak soon, no doubt, about this and many other things. All right. Take care. Cheers. Cheers, everyone.